0: We pray together, God, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus, that we could know that in our weakness that you are strong, that you could take us from broken, and you could make us whole. I pray that you would fill each one of us now with your spirit as we listen to your word, as we talk about an area of life that affects everyone in the room in some way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat, please. So, good morning, everybody. Obviously, we set our clocks ahead like we were supposed to, right? And we uh, did, did you still get your normal amount of sleep, though? Did you go to bed an hour earlier? Anybody do that? Yeah, some of you did. I like that. I did, too. I knew I needed to do that, so I did. And, uh, and yeah, I can just tell by droopy, dreary eyes today, Uh, And first service was really light today, so looking at that, part of that has to do with how beautiful it is outside, I'm sure, uh, as well. But I'm glad that you're here. And uh, as we, in our second week in the series on Simplify, and we talked last week about the foundation of the series, and I think also it would be the foundation for much of our lives. As we talked about Jesus and his offer to us, Uh, When he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when we talked about that aspect of rest, it was relief. Just relief from the things that you're carrying, the things that are weighing you down, uh, and so that you could breathe. And then he says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and I am humble of heart. And he says, for you will then find rest for your souls. And when he says rest for your souls, he's talking about a, a, a peace that is deeper than just relief from our burdens. He's talking about a peace where I'm able to be with him in the middle of circumstances that are difficult and hard. It's a peace that is hard fought for as I walk with him. The Bible has, or actually our, our Jewish tradition has a word, uh, the Jewish tradition has a word uh, that they use called Shalom. Uh, similar to what Jesus is offering is this existential kind of peace. Uh, and so it would be similar to Spock who said, live long and prosper. Okay, <laughs> and If you guys know, he's, uh, Leonard Nimoy died last week, uh, in the last week. And so those of us who were Star Trek fans that were you know grieving uh, the loss of him from a world. And if you didn't know that, that even the live long and prosper actually came from his Jewish tradition. Uh, as we reflected on that word, "shalom," and live long and prosper. So last week we talked about this idea that most of us struggle with uh, this feeling, overwhelming sense of feeling that we're overwhelmed, that we're overextended, overscheduled, and exhausted. Last week we did kind of a group confession where we all raised our hands. I don't think we need to do that again this week because it was consensus. Was we all struggle with this something that we feel deeply. And we talked about how Jesus offers us a place of rest. So what I want to do today is I want to take another opportunity to go a little bit deeper than that. That actually might be part two of last week, if you think about that, as I want to talk to us today about busyness. And we're going to look at a particular account in the Bible from Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, I'd love if you'd open it to Luke chapter 10, uh, because we'll be there today. And if you have your message notes, you want to pull these out of your program, you can use these. And you can take notes and follow along. All the Bible verses will be there as well. I just want to say this right now. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So if you stop at one of the bookshelves as you leave uh, in the lobby, just grab a Bible there. It's our gift to you today. We'd love to see you have a Bible that you could bring and read on your own. Now, I, you know, I, I knew that busyness was an issue. Okay, I, I really knew it because of my life. You know, So I was really thinking, well, I'm not even sure how I could be qualified to give this talk today. Uh, because of my struggles with balance and busyness that I've gone through in basically all my ministerial life. Uh, And so, uh, but yeah, I I knew it was an issue, but I didn't know how big of an issue it was until I started doing research this week. And so I told some of the staff, "It's, it's like I'm doing a research paper. There's so much information and so much being written about busyness and the effects of busyness in our lives and as we're reflecting on how we're living as a culture and talking about the damage that's doing to us that I, I just want to share some of that with you today. You already know that you're busy, but maybe you don't know how busy that other people are in your world as well. Here's a, Busyness is just a huge problem. More than 86% of men and 67% of women work over 40 hours a week at their job. Yet, two-thirds say that they still don't have enough time to get everything done in that week. Two-thirds. they work you know, over 40 hours a week and still can't get everything done in that week. Only 57 percent of Americans use all of their allotted vacation time. Now, I can understand that somewhat, but I really couldn't understand this next one. An amazing 42 percent of Americans did not use any vacation time last year. None. They just didn't see how it would be possible for them to leave and for them to get everything done so that they could stay ahead. And uh, as we've looked at this phenomenon, it's gotten even tighter. With starting in 2008, with our crash and economic recession, and as you know, jobs were lost, and as companies downsized, and they gave more and more work to employees, and in order to keep their jobs, they took on more and more efforts, and and they just were busier and busier and busier. CNN did a six-year study of 2,500 workers, and they found that those who worked 11 hours a day were two and a half times more likely to be depressed than those who worked eight hours a day. Two and a half times more likely to be depressed. In a report called Stress in America, the American Psychological Association reported that the majority of Americans recognize that their stress exceeds their efforts to maintain their good health. And the most frequent reason for not addressing the problem of stress and busyness is that they were too busy, (laughs) too busy to address the problem of busyness. It's a vicious cycle. Dr. Susan Coven from Massachusetts General Hospital writes this, In the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts patient after patient suffering from the same symptoms, fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. And her diagnosis, excessive busyness, excessive busyness. Now, on top of that, we're not getting enough sleep, which is causing sleep fatigue in many People Now, I know that on Time Change Sunday, we didn't get enough sleep, but this is something that's in us right now as a culture. The average American gets two and a half hours less sleep than the recommended amount. Average American gets two and a half hours of less sleep. And I just know that, that especially for our teenagers, and and I actually uh, just think that this is something that we, we really need to fix in our culture is... Uh, when our high schools start so early that our kids, there's absolutely no way they can get the allotted amount of sleep they need. And so they're living sleep-deprived lives. More than 40 million workers said that they sleep less than six hours a night. 40 million. Just think, there's 40 million people in America that are living sleep-deprived lives. No wonder productivity goes down. No wonder stress goes up. We're busy at work. We're busy uh, not taking our you know. We're too busy to take our vacations. We're too busy to sleep, and then you add kids to the mix. Wow, and that just adds a whole new layer of stress and busyness to your life. I don't know if you guys have heard of Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, but he has four kids, and this is what he says. He says, People often ask me, what's it like to go from three to four kids? And I answer them, Imagine you are drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like, he said. (laughs) Hand you a baby. Now, it's not just having kids that makes your life busy. Add to that uh, this idea, this fear that many parents live with, that they must have their kids involved in every imaginable and available activity or their little children are going to be left out or miss out or be left behind in some way. And that's creating stress and anxiety and emotional struggle in both the parents and the kids. There's a professor of George Smith University. and He, he conducted an extensive study on biological twins who were adopted by different families. So first he had biological twins adopted into different families. Then he had to look at the families. So one family would be the stressed, kids, hyperactive, had to be in everything. And the other family would be the more laid back, laissez-faire, we'll just do what we can through life. And so he had that, those were the criteria. And so then he observed these twins and here's what they discovered. We can confidently say, that having the kids involved in all these extracurricular activities made little, if any, statistical difference in how the kids turned out. It didn't make any difference in college placement. It didn't make any difference in how smart they were. It didn't make any difference in how well they did in life. As long as the parents were engaged, there was no difference in how a kid did. But here's what they noticed. The parents who were hyperscheduled... So they live these hyper scheduled lives is, is that they put on those parents a label of secondhand stress. That's what they were giving to their children. You know, like secondhand smoke? Second hand stress is what parents are giving to their children. The stress of the parents and the worry of the parents, it got infused into the kids, and then that was causing the children stress and emotional problems and difficulties. Researcher Ellen Galinsky interviewed more than 1,000 kids, grades 3 through 12, and asked them, if you were granted one wish to change the way that your parents' work affected your life, what would that one thing be? The most common answer Instead of asking for more time, which you think that's what kids would be asking for as we're talking about business. Instead of asking for more time with their parents, they wish their parents would simply be less stressed out. That was their wish. We're, to be, we're busy people. And our culture isn't helping. Our technology isn't helping as it was promised. Many of you have heard this study or this report from Congress in 1967 When someone stood before Congress and said this, prediction, because of all the labor saving technological advances being made, we can picture a day in 30 years, okay, 1967, that would be 1997, okay, picture a day in 30 years where people will only be working 15 hours a week. (laughs) Our biggest problem will be what will people do to free up all of their free time? I mean to fill all their free time. Would anyone say that's your problem? <laughs> what am I doing to fill up my free time? And this is not just an issue with young families or singles. It's also a problem with retired folks. I can't tell you how many people, retired folks I talk to say, I am busier now than I've ever been. Give me a job. <laughs> now, one of the books I read in preparation for this message, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the, you know, because I told you earlier, this is a problem that we all have, we sold out of these in the first service, okay? So we had a slew of them, and we sold out. So I'm just still going to recommend it because there are great tools that you can get where you can read it on your Kindle or your device, uh, or you can order it through a bookstore or Amazon and have it in the next two days. Uh, if you wanted to, but we're going to get copies for next week. So some of you, you're you're just busy enough to hold off till next week. Okay. So you already know your life's too full. You're not going to read it this week anyway. So just wait till next week. Okay. And we'll have copies for you. It's called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. And it's on your notes. So you'll find it on your notes somewhere. And then also his name, spelling. So when you wanna, if you want to order this yourself, you can get this. Well, he gives three dangers of busyness that I want to share Do we start out today. And uh, that living lives beyond capacity with no margin leads to these dangers. And the first one is this. Busyness can ruin our joy. It can ruin your joy. See, one of the reasons that we find ourselves crazy busy is that we're trying to get ahead. And as we're trying to get ahead, we're so busy trying to get ahead that we have no time to experience the fruit of our labor. So we just have no time to experience what we hoped our jobs were actually going to bring to us, the joy and the fruit of our labor. But the problem, according to Richard Swenson, he wrote a classic book we've talked about for years around here called Margin, is that we don't have enough space in our lives to enjoy the moments that we Have The moments in our lives that are coming at us. Our lives are so full from activities and multitasking and shortcuts that we're running ourselves and our kids ragged. And we're missing out on the joy in the moment because we're working so hard. The second thing is this. Busyness, it can rob your time. It can rob your time. Another way to say that would be heart if you wanted to put heart on your notes as well. It can make us too worn out to pursue the things that are best for us and our families. So I'm just too busy to pursue what is best. I'm always taking care of the tyranny of the urgent. I'm always taking care of what other people say, what other people are saying is important. I'm always responding to that. And it makes me too busy to take care of what's best for my family. One writer I read this week said this, I confess that I am drawn to the hurried life. Sometimes going a million miles an hour helps me to feel important, look important. And it keeps my adrenaline pumping. Always being in a hurry may not always be a byproduct of a disordered schedule. It may be the exposure of a disordered heart. I love that. Not actually the result of my schedule, but it's exposing my heart that's disordered. Because I'm pursuing things for the value of the things alone. Number three, busyness can cover up the rot in my soul. It can cover up your rotting soul. And there's nothing worse than a rotting soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, some people, busyness is their badge. you know, Or it's, in a, it's a defense, okay? Some people use busyness as a, as a badge. Other people use busyness as a defense. So if it's in a badge, look at me, how great I am. If it's a defense, I'm so busy, get away. Don't ask me for any more. And so we just push people away by using that word busy. Some people get their value from how busy, busy they are they compare themselves from with others and they're constantly pushing their boundaries to the limit so that they can keep achieving just so that they can feel good about themselves but what has happening inside is that their souls are rotting I wish I could give it better they're rotting they look amazing on the outside for a while and they're even given accolades for their hyper busy schedules and routines but inside their soul is rotting So I just want to say it real clearly as we just kind of look at these dangers. There are few things as damaging and potentially soul-destroying as busyness is. It can destroy us. It can destroy your joy. It can cripple your capacity to love. And it's busyness that will cause you to lose your, your ability to hear God's still small voice as he wants to speak to you. Kevin DeYoung, quote from him, he said this, we are so busy with a million pursuits that we don't even notice the most important things are slipping away. We're losing them. Now, I want to just look look at Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38 today. And this is an account from the life of Jesus, and it's about busyness. Uh, In Jesus' life, he's been performing miracles, he's been teaching, he's in demand, and then previous to this, the Bible says that he has set his face toward Jerusalem. And what that means is, is that he had set his face to go to Jerusalem because it was in Jerusalem that he would face his encounter with the devil and that he would go to the cross. And so he was deliberate on his journey now to get to Jerusalem as one of the most important things that he was about while he was on earth. Well, on the way, he stopped at Bethany, the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary to have a moment with his friends for rest, refreshment, and rejuvenation. So let's just read the account, and then I'm going to make comments about it, about how we can overcome busyness. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay. So when some people look at this story, they want to classify it. So they take Martha and they take Mary. Now, if you ever have a hard time which, remembering which is which, you know, and I, for some reason, I've always had a struggle remembering Martha and Mary. Which one is the one that was, you know, the one that was serving in the kitchen? Just remember this Martha Stewart, okay? So that'll help. This Martha Stewart kitchen, you got it, okay? Got it? You can remember. Okay, so Martha. See, some people read this story and they say that Martha represents a type A person the ones that are task-oriented, the ones that get things done. So that would be Martha. She represents that kind of person. And they also say then that Mary represents another type of person, the one that is people-oriented and places relationships over doing things. And everyone likes to hang out with Mary's because they are so valued by them. Now, even though it might be true that Jesus is pointing out these, I just need you to know that Jesus is not saying that one of these personality types is better than the other, right? Because who made the personality types? Who created these two? It was Jesus. Jesus created them. Gave Martha her personality type, type A. Gave Mary her personality type, relational, people-oriented. And that she would be that way, hanging out with people and doing that. Jesus created them both. So what I want to do is I want to walk through this story and I'm going to talk about how we can overcome our business. It's not going to be what you think. I'm not talking about schedules today. I'm not talking about calendars today. I'm not talking about time management today. I'm going to talk about perspective today. Okay? Three things. First is this. Evaluate your priorities. Evaluate your priorities. I'm going to overcome busyness. I need to evaluate my priorities. Jesus said to Martha after she had come out, one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion, which cannot be taken away from her. Now, what Jesus was saying to Martha, is he was saying to Martha by his comment about Mary, he's saying, Martha, you have neglected the best thing. And the best thing is not only the only thing, it's the first thing. So in order, he's saying you've neglected the best thing and this best thing is the first thing. This is what you've neglected, Martha. So what he was saying to her by making reference to Mary and where Mary was, he says, the best place to start, the right place to start is at my feet. So priority-wise, in your life, the best place to start is at the feet of Jesus. So the question is not what needs to be done. See, there's always stuff crying out for us, right? Always stuff to do, crying out for us to, for our attention that we would do it. So just because something needs to be done, just because something is a good idea, doesn't mean it's your job to take it on, okay? Just because it needs to be done, just because it's a good idea, doesn't mean it's your job to take it on. take it on. If that's our question, we're never going to rest because there's so much that needs to be done. The question really is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And Jesus says, start with me, sit at my feet, rest with me, listen to me, make me your priority. And if you do that, I will guide you. You can trust me to guide you towards a schedule that's based on what I want you to do, not what on the world wants you to do in order to make them happy. This next verse can really help if you think about priorities Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is trust in the Lord with all your heart, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I'd like you, if you would, if you just draw a line, just a little like a wall between the word do and the word and, right at that comma, Draw draw a wall there. Okay. So here's the deal. You got a wall there. So you got two rooms, a wall with two rooms on one side, one room is your responsibility. And your responsibility is what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seek his will in all you do. So that's your responsibility. On the other side of that wall in the next room is God's part. God's part. And he will show you which path to take. My part, God's part. Listen to him. And then that gives me my priority in life. So I'll just say it again. Not every need is your calling. Not every good idea has your name on it. I mean, we just live with an inundation with good ideas and awesome things and, uh, you know, all kinds of startup things on, you know, you look at Facebook and you look at all the things that people are doing and they're promoting and they're pushing and it's all great ideas. And if you're not careful, you can look at those and you can get so inundated by good ideas that you just get overwhelmed by the fact of how many, by the realization of how much there is to do that. You actually get sick from that, stressed from that. Not every good idea is a calling for you. So I was just thinking about this. I thought, okay, well, I, if I need to evaluate my priorities. What, what are my priorities? And so I made a list of them. And I said, well, my first priority is time with God. My first priority is time sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'm like, well, if that's my first priority. How often is that the first thing I do? Hmm. Not doing so well already. Next was this, time with my family. Okay, time to eat meals. We've made a commitment that we have you know uh, meals together as often as we can. Time to have conversations, play together, time with my family. Time for vacations with my family. Number three was time with my church. Time to come together with my friends and friends so that I can worship so that I can be encouraged. Uh, so that I can be held accountable. So time with friends. And and then number four, we're down to this, is time with my work. I'm like, okay, if that's number four on my list, how come it's number one in my schedule? Right? How come it's number one in my schedule? So God's working with me about this, and my work would be expressing my gifts and talents by being productive. And then next, I thought, wow, this is a priority, and yet how little time gets in Ron Thompson's life for this and that's time serving those who have a need time serving those who have a need to extend compassion and then time with rec for recreation and play and I wrote this down because it's nowhere in my life (laughs) I had dinner with someone recently and they asked me what do you do for recreation what do you do for play and I'm like I hate that question I drink espresso for recreation. <laughs> so if we want to form an espresso drinking club around here, that's my that's my that's my recreation. Okay, right there, and uh, it's as far as it goes. Okay, I love espresso. I'm sure that's adding to this <laughs> it goes on in my life. <laughs> and then finally, time to rest and sleep. Okay. Now, I really have this one down. I have physical things that cause me to need rest, and so I really work hard to make sure I get my sleep and rest. But I'll never forget, one time I was listening to Rick Warren speak, and as he was speaking, he was talking about this need for rest, and he said, you know what, folks? Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today is to go home and take a nap. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Some of you are thinking, right now, this is the best sermon Ron has ever given, okay? Okay. <laughs> Permission to take a nap today on Time Change Sunday. Okay, so look at this other quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says, The person who never sets priorities is the person who does not believe in his own finitude or that his life has limits and boundaries. See, God made us as finite, and and he will never expect us to be him. He's infinite. He will never expect us to be him. He gave us boundaries and limits. He made us finite. But I'm saying this, I think that some of us need to realize that our limits are narrower than we think. You know, I don't go with this thing. If you believe it, you can achieve it. I believe that positive thinking is a really good thing, but I also believe that God gave us limits. And for some of us, we need to acknowledge our limits and it will lead us to a place of rest. And you know what else? Instead of, I'll just use a word, instead of hating ourselves because we can't do what someone else can do, we can love ourselves because this is the way God made us. We can exalt in the fact that he made us to be this way. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Now that I've got priorities, I need to eliminate my distractions. Eliminate your distractions. Now, what is said there, it says Martha was distracted. Distracted with much serving. So he's not saying serving was bad, right? No, no, no. It's not saying serving was bad. It's commentary here. It's saying that Martha was distracted with much serving. Now word distracted means she was pulled in all kinds of directions at once. She was being pulled apart by her busyness. And so that is what caused her then to be worried and anxious. And because she was worried and anxious, she got frustrated and angry. And then out of that frustration and anger, the first thing she did was she blamed her sister. It's her fault. I'm like this because it's her fault. If she would jump up, Jesus, make her help me. It's her fault. You can just imagine even as that she's in the kitchen and she's stewing on this. She starts steaming on this. And all of a sudden, you you know, she starts slamming the drawer shut. My sister needs to get in here. And she slams a little. Gush, 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 my sister. They will hear this and she'll come in here and she'll help me. That's what she'll do. And then no one comes. And so all of a sudden now she's going, what does she do is all this frustration. So you can just picture her with a wooden spoon coming out of the kitchen. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> tell my sister to help me. <laughs> and you don't even care about me. <laughs> That's what she said to Jesus. So what happens is, when we're living this way, is we can end up blaming others and resenting Jesus, blaming others and resenting God, because we are living outside of our limits, and we are distracted, and we need to change that. So she was resenting Jesus. Look at what the psalmist, when he's writing about this uh, frustration, he said, it is useless free to work so hard from early morning to late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Notice again, it's saying here, distraction leads to anxiety and worry and stress, the same things that Martha was feeling. And what, what, here's what Martha was trying to do. Martha was trying to show Jesus how much she loved Jesus by her performance for Jesus. And Jesus was saying, "I want you to show you, me how much you love me by your presence with me, just by hanging with me." Just think about this. Think about how the story would be differently if Martha had started in the same place as Mary, at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching; they're listening. It's you know, it's, maybe they're laughing, having a good old time, and all of a sudden Jesus has a rumbling in his tummy, and so he's going, "I'm hungry." And so it's time for us to eat. Let's go make dinner together. Let's go make dinner together. Imagine the difference in that experience if they would have done that together. You got to remember this, okay? Jesus had fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and some fish, okay? And he had turned water into like exquisite Chardonnay. So don't you think he could help with dinner? Yeah yeah. I think if they would have trusted her and been at his feet, then it would have worked out in a different way. But she so wanted, and this is where some of us get so burned out. She so wanted to take care of Jesus that she became obsessed with the meal and she ended up blaming Mary and accusing Jesus in this situation. I just want to say, have you ever felt like that in your busyness? I'm oh, my boss. My boss, is, uh, my boss, uh, or my employees, uh, 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 to my employees, or my spouse, or my spouse, just working, uh, uh, and I'm always doing it, uh, uh, going on and on, and you blame others, and then you resent, <sighs> inside. But this is what happens, and this is, think God, the danger is, folks, as we start blaming and resenting God, and we're in a place that God never asked us to be. We're way outside of our limits. We're doing things he never called us to do. And he just wants us to rest in him. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. Now he's describing what it's like to come to Jesus to listen and why we need to. He says this. It comes the morning. It comes the moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving them all back. (laughs) In listening to that other voice, in taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. That's what he calls us to. Okay, number three, enrich your soul. If I'm going to overcome busyness, my soul needs to be enriched. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Sat at the Lord's feet and let him enrich her soul. One of the the phrases I've been using uh, as a result of uh, my spiritual mentor guiding me is learning to be enthralled with Jesus. Just enthralled, enthralled with Jesus. And that's what Mary was. She was enthralled with Jesus so much that she sat at his feet. She listened to him. She connected to what he was saying. And what Jesus was doing at that moment, he was pouring into her soul. He was enriching her soul, filling it with what she would need in order to do everything that is in her life so that she had the strength to carry it out. See, Jesus, what Jesus was doing, he was inviting you, me, Martha, to join Mary. He was basically saying, come with me. Come spend time with me. And as you're spending time with me, I will enrich your soul so that you can know me and you will be so enthralled with me that your fears disappear. Because you just see me. See, knowing joy comes from knowing God, not from what I accomplish. In fact, the psalmist says it this way. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, notice that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So fullness of joy is joy that can't get any more intense, okay? it's intense as it can be, joy that's so intense, and then it's pleasures forevermore. They're never ending. It means this joy I'm going to experience is so intense, and it will last forever. So in Jesus, we have that. And that enriches our souls. It expands our capacity to face life. It gives us the ability to say no when other people want us to say yes, because it's not our calling. It's not our priority. It gives us that ability and it gives us that strength. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. He says, when we are crazy busy, we put our souls at risk. But when we sit at the feet of Jesus, he enriches our souls. Jesus said this way in Matthew 6, He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So what Jesus is calling us to is start with me, learn from me. See, the danger of busyness is that it keeps us from the necessary one thing. And what is the necessary one thing? Walking with God. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, going deep with him. See, what is necessary is, the one thing is not something we do for Jesus. It's when we sit and listen to him. We sit at the feet of Jesus. We find our sufficiency of him. And then, and only then, we do as he guides. Do as he guides. Jesus says, walk with me. Walk with me. I will fill your soul. I will fill your soul. And out of a full soul, you and I can walk in this life, and we will overcome your busyness. So here's my prayer. My prayer today is this, is that I, we, would stop defining ourselves by what we do and start defining ourselves by who we are becoming as we listen to Jesus, that we would stop measuring ourselves by what we accomplish That if we're going to measure anything, we would just measure how enthralled am I with Jesus today. That would be the measurement. Brian and Dave are going to come and Brian's going to sing a song to us. And this song is a reflection uh, from someone who's sat at the feet of Jesus, who's uh, come to understand how beautiful it is and enthralling Jesus can be. And then it's a response. It's just the response of knowing him. So let's listen to this.
1: Standing here in your presence, in a grace rest, Wrapped within the arms of heaven, in a peace that lasts forever, sing. So.
0: please I want to lead us in just listening to the words of Jesus we did this last week it was so meaningful that we want to do it again this week and just listen to his call this is Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 to 30 from the message paraphrase this is Jesus calling to you are you tired worn out Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Oh, Jesus, I thank you so much for that invitation. I know it's so different than what many people may expect from you, that they expect you to give rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. Lord, just pray today that we would see you as calling to us every one of us in our brokenness our sinfulness our busyness to come to you today for rest just let you let you fill us let you touch us let you know let us know that we are accepted by you Through Jesus, acceptable. We are empowered by you. You give us what we need to live. That we find our significance in you as we achieve with you in life. And let's pray for everyone in the room because I know this is a this is a big deal. And I know that it'll be easy today to walk out of here and life is demanding. It's full. And yet today, Jesus, I just pray that you will give each of us the the, the nudge of invitation now that even today we would practice sitting at your feet, sitting with you. Becoming enamored with you, enthralled with you, and that you would enrich our souls and you would give us the strength we need. So in your name we pray. Amen.